The Auburn Tigers offense struggled against San Jose State. What does that mean going forward to the big one? as the Penn State Nittany Lions come to Jordan-Hare Stadium. Well, Zach, I, I actually just finished crushing some chicken parm, and I am freaking ready to rock and roll. You are Locked On Auburn, your daily podcast on the Auburn Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on into Locked On Auburn, your daily Auburn Tigers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Blackerby, and thank you so much for making Locked On Auburn your first listen Every single day. Happy Monday. That means we are joined by Lindsey Crosby of Auburn Daily and Locked On MLB Prospects. Today's show is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Sign up at underdogfantasy.com with the promo code Locked On to get your first deposit doubled up to $100. Lindsey, you, uh, you had a good vantage point of the game, obviously reporting on site for auburndaily.com in the press box and you are very online, so you're very aware of the whole everybody freaking out, falling apart across the entire Auburn fan base. I think some of it is valid. I think some of it's a little dramatic. But, man, it still comes back to just the controversy around this quarterback battle, right? I mean, just looking at what happened on Saturday, to me, once T.J. Finley was able to kind of get control of himself after that interception, Auburn seemed to be in a much better spot. Yeah, and and Harson actually touched on it in the press conference after the game about from like the interception. While we were very quick, I mean, and I by we the internet, Auburn Twitter was very quick to complain about T.J. Finley's interception. Yeah, uh, Brian Harson was very emphatic in the post game press conference that that was a good decision by T.J. Finley. The ball was a couple inches off of where it should be, and that even the back made a great play. But even the interception wasn't bad. And then from that point on, TJ Finley was in a groove. He had multiple stretches of, you know, five, six completions at a time before he'd have an incompletion. And including that, that, that final drive, multiple 10 plus yard passes. Yeah. I mean, once he settled down after the interception, he really ran the offense pretty well, all things considered. Everything about the play where he threw the pick, I absolutely hate. Absolutely hate it. There is no reason for a college quarterback. I don't care how strong and how far TJ Finley can throw it. There is no reason to throw an outbreaking route from the opposite hash. There's just no excuse for it, especially when in that situation where accuracy hasn't really been honed in for him. And so to me, I didn't like that. And then on the rewatch, I didn't realize this live, but I mean, there's just a drag coming across the field right in front of his face that is just wide open by 10 yards or so. So what does that tell me, Lindsay? That tells me, and look, this is common throughout all of college football. I know Auburn fans want to say, well, no, you need to go to your second, third, and fourth read every play. The kids that can do that are playing in the NFL, but it's very, very rare to see at the college level. And so his first, uh, when they call that play, TJ is told, I'm assuming TJ is told that that first read needs to be the out on the opposite side of the field. And to me, like TJ shouldn't have thrown it. And TJ, if he did throw it, he should have put it more high and outside than he did. But just a weird situation to put your quarterback in. Yeah, and if you're calling something where the first read is a risky play like that, where it's going to be something to the field side, 
don't call that play. Or if you call it, specifically let him know, hey, that's not the first read. This is the, a different read. Yeah. And like you said, it's so hard for many college quarterbacks to go through multiple reads. And Harson alluded to the fact that for as he remembered, Finley had pressure coming in. And so he had to get the ball out quicker than they probably would have liked. But I do think that's one of those things that that can be cleaned up, one, from a coaching perspective, you know, understanding, hey, if we call this, we have trained them, the first read is this bad decision. So let's not call this right here. And then two, uh, working on ball placement, necessarily where should that be? Weeks one and two are the weeks where Harson said he wanted to get a lot of this stuff out yeah. so that they understand who they are by week three. So I think it's it's fixable. Um, probably a combination of a bad bad quarterback decision, bad coaching decision. But in the actual play itself, Harson gave most of the credit for the interception to the defensive back for making a great play, more so than 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 faulting DJ Finley for it. I'd love to know how much of that is legitimate and how much of that is coach speak, you know, saving face, protecting your players kind of thing. I, I would love to know the true honest answer to that because I think his reasoning makes sense. It's just TJ missed yet again. And that's what happened. I believe with the second pick, there are some people that disagree with me, but um, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. And Lindsay, I've been thinking a ton about the rotation, right? TJ Finley goes in, runs the normal offense and Robbie comes in and does, you know, a lot of his read option stuff. And I still think it's a fascinating dynamic and a fascinating relationship between the two because it's a very unique situation where playing Robbie, I think, is in interest of the greater good for the Auburn offense. But I don't think it's best for the starting quarterback right now, TJ Finley. I mean, it's got to take him out of a groove, being it, you know, being on the sideline watching that. And so, like, I don't know how much of this is truly. I don't want to say fair because it's not about fairness, but like. I do think it hinders TJ Finley's flow and ability to manage the game, but it's hard to argue that it's not the best thing for the offense at times. Weird situation. Robbie Ashford was the leading ball carrier on Saturday. Seven carries for 61 yards. He had more yards than Tank Bigsby, than Jack West Hunter did. Uh, And to me, I, I... Part of me wonders, is there a way to do this in more of maybe that wildcat fashion? where TJ Finley is still involved on a play-by-play basis, or do you swap it up and do you do Ashford for an entire drive? I feel like your point is very valid when Mm -hmm. TJ gets two or three plays, you know, he hands it off, gets two completions, and then comes out and stands on the sideline for two plays while Ashford runs. And then he comes back in and has to get right back into it, but now they're 12 yards down the field. I understand that kind of dynamic of it's difficult for him to stay in the flow. Yeah, But at the same time, like you said, I mean, it is in the best interest of the team. Obviously, Robbie Ashford gives some sort of value to this team right. by the fact that, I mean, he can't operate the full scope of the Auburn offense. Uh, he's still kind of coming along as a, as a passer, but he gives you a weapon that you don't otherwise have. And I striking that balance is always really, really tough. It really, Lindsay, seems like this coaching staff was giving Robbie the opportunity to win the job. And I don't think he did. I don't think he took it. I think they put it right there in front of him, gave him the opportunity. And the fact that he threw, what, three passes Saturday night? One for three with a pick. That's 
to me, I mean, as they continue to call more and more passing plays for Finley in the second half, and his arm really started to kind of find a groove, I um, I don't know what you do from here. I, I think you just kind of let him be the gadget guy because I think they were trying to give him the opportunity to win the job. And I, I, Lindsay, I don't think he won it. I don't think he did it. And so now with with your schedule getting significantly tougher, I don't think you can play this whole game as much. I think you can still rotate Robbie in and do your wildcat thing. But this whole, like, let's see if he can run the offense effectively, I don't think you can do that anymore. Going into the game, I noticed in the press box uh, that for the first time since the season started, they brought the or back on the depth chart. Yeah, you're the first to catch that. Or Robbie Ashford. Yeah, I put a piece up at Auburn Daily, and then it started going around the press box, and people realized, oh, man. And I think it was a situation exactly like you're describing. They they understood you can't evaluate a running quarterback until you're live. We want to play him, mix him in as much as we can to see if he's got enough grasp of the offense to run the full offense. Right. And they don't think he does. When when we asked Ryan Harson after the game about the interceptions, he went at length about TJ's and about the defender and everything. And when it was about Robbie Ashford's interception, it was a lot quicker. And in essence, he said, like, it was a bad decision. Like it was a poor throw. I mean, it, it, it wasn't, he didn't try to couch it in a, in coach speak or kind of take up for the play. Or he was like, we, we had an opportunity and didn't take advantage of it. And I feel like that's kind of the story behind Robbie Ashford starting quarterback mm-hmm. is had an opportunity, didn't take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what happens moving forward. All right. So over the course of the game, we saw Auburn's offensive line, in my opinion, do some pretty impressive things in the second half. I want to talk about that more in detail in just a moment. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Underdog Fantasy. I played Underdog Fantasy yesterday. I won like over $100. I only bet like five bucks. They've got a ton of different things you can do. I did one of their draft features. They also have pick'em slips as well. I do those more for the college side of things, but there's a lot of different ways that you can play, excuse me, daily fantasy Sports, including NFL, including college, Major League Baseball, if that sort of thing. So be sure to check that out at Underdog Fantasy. You can just look up your favorite team or maybe the team you know most about and look at their stats and pick whether you think they'll end up with more or less than that number in whatever game that you're looking at. <coughs> Man, excuse me. Excuse me. And you can easily win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy to use website. But I love their mobile app. Very, very easy to use. Pick between two to five players for your pick'em slip. You get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. An underdog is going to make it easier for you to play by doubling your first deposit up to $100. Deposit $100, get $100 free. All you have to do is use promo code LOCKEDON. L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, promo code LOCKEDON, to double your deposit. That is an underdog fantasy. Lindsay, I think over the course of the game... We saw this Auburn offensive line kind of get it going. And you saw that with better rushes. I think you saw that from better play calling to some extent. And I think you saw it just from Auburn being a better team than San Jose State. But my question to you is, did this happen because they got things right in the second half? They mesh more as a unit. The, the coaching staff kind of put guys in better situations to succeed? Or 
It was just later in the game, and Auburn's bigger, faster, and stronger, and that's kind of what happens over the course of games is the better team edges out the other one. Can I cop out and say both? Yeah. Harson Harson talked about some of the mid-game adjustments, and he he specifically mentioned that San Jose State came out with some things they weren't expecting, uh, and, and, and the coaches had to make adjustments at halftime, and it was very matter-of-fact. It wasn't like a rah-rah, fire-em-up thing. It was just like, hey, we have to get better at this and that and that. We saw some, some changes from Auburn as far as offensive line personnel, moving some guys around at guard. We saw some things on defense, a lot more Donovan Kaufman at safety yeah. with Keontae Scott on the field a lot more. And, and so I think it was partly we adjusted to what they were doing. We made the adjustments at halftime, which I know Auburn fans aren't used to that. It's not something we had for a while, uh, but we made adjustments. And then also we just have guys that are bigger, that are faster, that are stronger, that are better conditioned, yeah. and we have more depth. The big thing to me is when you see uh, uh, you know, second team guys come in, your first team guys may be able to hang with some of our first team guys for, for a while. Mm-hmm. But when your guys get tired, our second team guys are significantly better than yours. And this is the whole story behind why everybody always – uh, expects Alabama to cover every single game, no matter how close it is. I'm like, well, because their their second string is all five stars. Yeah, They're better than your second string. And I think that's kind of what happened here with San Jose State. I remember seeing Marcus Bragg out there making a play or two. Mm-hmm. You know, just depth guys really impacting the game in a way that I don't feel like San Jose State's depth guys were able to do. Right. No, I'm there with you. So how are we supposed to walk away with excitement about how guys performed in the second half, because I think in the trenches, it is more of that. I think it was more of just over time, guys like Killian Zaire or Tate Johnson, uh, those were the two guys that stood out to me more in the rewatch. Um, Austin Troxel had a few good plays around the goal line that I was really impressed with as well. But are the, were, were those guys just beating up the other guys? And over time, you know, Auburn's big men were bigger and better and faster and stronger. Or were guys kind of executing at a higher level? Because I feel like it's more the former for the offensive line. But when you look at TJ and you look at the wide receivers, I feel like the passing game was more of a, a an execution thing. I think it was more scheme, and I think it was more execution in that front. So I think that's good. I think that's a step in the right direction, something to kind of hang your hat on. Like, okay, they got the passing game going. TJ Finley looked probably the best we've ever seen him in the second half of San Jose State. But still, like, with with Penn State coming up, like, is that enough, Lindsay? Like, I I genuinely don't know the answer. I think one of the big things for the passing game was getting the wide receivers more involved. You saw a lot of John Samuel Schenker. You saw a lot of the backs with the ball. A Auburn wide receiver did not touch the ball until the final drive of the first half. Gross. It was something that we were like, before I, like, I'm sitting there in the, in the press box and I'm tracking the stats and I'm writing the stories. And before I realized it, I'm like, wait, I haven't even tweeted once about one of these receivers. And Coy Moore makes a 13 yard catch in that last drive there. Uh, we didn't hand the ball off to nearly as many wide receivers. And in the first half, we just weren't really in a rhythm uh, blocking wise where Finley had time to find the receivers down the field. It was a lot of dumping stuff off to the tight end, dumping stuff off to the backs. And once the line started blocking a little better, um, you know, had the conditioning edge and the size edge, you saw Finley really get comfortable and able to distribute the ball 
you know, Javarius Johnson ends up with three catches. Tavares Dawson has a n- nice catch in the second half. Uh, and, and, and so getting the wide receivers more involved, I think came back to the offensive line and the offensive line solidified what they were doing from a pass rush or from a pass blocking standpoint. Yeah. There were two throws in particular that really, really impressed me. The most impressive one. And I put clips of this on, on Twitter. If you want to search at Z Blackerby, I put up a GIF thread every Sunday, but TJ's pass to, I mean, it was almost like a, a flag route. It was an outbreaking route downfield to Javaris Johnson. It was beautiful. And it was mm-hmm. off of play action. You know, TJ really leaned into the play action, sold it, had the backer step up just a hair. Uh, I think it was Jarquez that was at running back is emptying off into the flat. And, you know, guys went with him in coverage. And there was nobody in front of TJ. And he felt the pressure behind him, and he got rid of the football. It was a laser. It was an absolute dart. Javaris Johnson created his own separation. Wonderful, wonderful play. The second one that you just mentioned, the the throw and catch from Finley to um, Tavares Dawson, mm-hmm. was a better pass. I, I don't think you know from a whole play standpoint, all eleven guys executing it was as impressive. But as far as like Finley to Dawson, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I mean, Finley's touch on the ball was just enough to get it over. I, I assume it was a linebacker just because it was where, where he was on the field. But just the touch of it, you know, the, the arc was exactly what you want it to be. It dropped right into Devarish's hands, and, and he went down with the reception. I mean, both of those plays are like, okay, that's, that's what needs to happen. Like, that's something that Auburn hasn't seen in an offense in a long time, maybe some with Stidham in 17, but like you really haven't seen that much. And so we need to find a way to incorporate more of that. And I'm sure that's what this coaching staff is going to be working on throughout this week, but just kind of figure out why, why did those plays work? Because the coverage was there, especially on the one to Dawson, the coverage was there. Finley just nailed it. Um, to, to me, that's the biggest question is how do you get that to happen more often? Yeah. And I would go on a limb and say that I don't think TJ Finley makes those passes last year. And part of that is a comfort level in the offense, comfort level with the receivers, knowing that he could put the ball there and that Dawson would be able to get it. And so like this, that is those two plays are the types of things that we talk about when we say TJ Finley is better this year than last year. Those are the things we are talking about. But I think your question is the most relevant one. How do you do more of that? And can you do enough of that? I mean, Brian Harson talked about it on Saturday night. Uh, as you go, go on in the schedule, the teams start getting harder and harder and harder. And so you have to execute at a higher level every single week. We saw a couple of those against San Jose State, but it took it until later in the game. Uh, and you only had a couple of those. You need to do them earlier and more often against Penn State and then so on throughout the entire schedule. How do you get to that point? I'm not... I don't know. I'm sure if I did, I'd make a lot of money from Auburn Athletics to, to teach it. Sure. But I'm sure this coaching staff has the talent to figure it out. Yep. I, there, was, uh, there was something that stood out to me when watching the defense of this game for a second time. We'll touch on that in just a moment. Right here on Locked on Auburn. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at LinkedIn. As you really get the fall going and traffic in your stores are picking up as a small business owner. You need to find people to staff all of these busy hours, especially in the Auburn, Opelika, Lee County area. 
these next few weeks filled with game day festivities will lead to lots of folks trafficking your business and you need to create free job posts. You can do it in just minutes at LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Just add your job then the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to help spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the best fit. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Today's show is also brought to you by The Drugstore. It's located on Dean Road in Auburn. It's lo- owned by local Auburn folks, um, both of the, the, the couple that now owns it. They're Auburn people. They grew up in Auburn. I went to high school with them. They graduated from Auburn. They're good folks. They're going to remember your name and get to know your family um, as you trust them with all of your medicinal needs. They also have all kinds of vaccines, whether it's flu, pneumonia, shingle, tetanus. All you have to do is walk in at any time, and they will make sure to take care of you. They also offer delivery and shipping at the drugstore, or they have a great and effective drive through as well. So check out the drugstore and move all your prescriptions over there. Once again, great Auburn folks. Check out the drugstore on Dean Road in Auburn. Lindsey Crosby, when I rewatched this defense, the thing that I thought was most interesting from a pass rush standpoint was Okay, they're still not getting, an, they're not getting to the quarterback as much as we thought they would, especially in these two early games that we thought would be tune-up games where they could really dominate. But man, the pressure numbers are there. They're impacting the play a lot more than I realized going through the second time. Derek Hall, seven pressures. Colby Wooden had four. Eku had four. Keontae Scott actually had two, which is funny. Jason Jones. Yep, Jason Jones and Marcus Harris both had a pressure. And I, somebody said in the Discord or on Twitter, and, and I wish I could credit them, but they were responding to something that I said. And, and they were saying like, hey, you know, it's, when you watch that game, it never really felt like San Jose State had all the time in the world. They just weren't, it felt rushed. A lot of quick passes. That was definitely in their game plan. And so I feel better about the pass rush than I did 24 hours ago when I was recording the postgame reaction show. They very, very much focused on getting the ball out as quickly as they could. Yeah. And and part of this is coach speak, but Harson did was very complimentary of their quarterback, said, you know, he he is a guy that is is difficult to tackle, is very slippery, can make plays um with his legs, got away from us. But the defensive line really exerted themselves more than they did against Mercer, uh, from the both from the stat sheet and while you're there watching. I mean, Marcus Harris had I think three tackles for loss. Uh almost lived in the backfield. Um, Just Keontae Scott, one of those, we talked about it after last week's game against Mercer, but sending a defensive back up the middle on a blitz is not something Auburn's done a lot of. Right. Um, But getting pressure in different ways. So not just counting on our guys to beat their guys, but scheming some stuff and finding good times to call it. I feel like, like, if I was going to worry about a unit of the defense, it is not the defensive line. I feel like they they have done it. They they can do enough. They can impact the game enough. And whenever you see something where they're they're close, they get a bunch of, you know, Derek Hall didn't record a sack. He had you know seven eight you know, 
Seven. pressures. Yeah. That's something that is a fraction of a second or a little bit of luck away from being a sack. And I'm not too, I, I'd rather know you have consistent pressures mm-hmm. than have him have two pressures in one sack. No, I'm happier with getting seven pressures. Yep. Uh, but it's, it's, that's not the unit that I would worry about on defense. What unit would you worry about on defense? San Jose State th- was on pace at one point in time to throw for 300 yards in the game. And I have questions about the defensive backs, and Harson alluded to it too, just the amount of chunk plays that San Jose State was picking up. The ball down the field, there were multiple 50-50 balls that Auburn wasn't competitive on, something where, you know, Nehemiah Pritchett or, you know, or someone just, Zion Puckett just never got their head around to find the ball. And so the defensive back was able to make, or the the wide receiver was able to make a play. And so something I think you can clean up. I think there's enough talent there on the defensive backfield for this not to be uh, a lingering issue, but it is something that stood out in person when I was watching the game on Saturday. So they threw it 40 times. So he averaged like 6.9 yards a completion. TJ Finley was significantly higher than that. So like, I, I, the chunk plays argument I totally get. But I think in most cases, if Auburn plays someone who throws it 40 times, they are going to allow that much. A, a, am, I off, am I off on that? Not necessarily. It, and the completion percentage definitely worked out in Auburn's favor. I mean, he was like 24 or 40. It's not mm-hmm. like he, compl- he was completing 70% of the passes. Right. It's just mostly the way it was done seeing a chunk play or or seeing seeing a play where they had to get seven for a first down and our defensive backs are playing a bad technique and they're you know seven yards off the off the ball when it's snapped and allowing those completions so maybe it's not so much the raw numbers as it was the way it happened i understand i i feel like at least is something that the team's going to emphasize this week yeah I'm just going through Auburn's schedule in my head. Like, okay, if, if what's the kid's name at Missouri? Connor Cook, is that his name? Something it, like that. It's not Connor Cook. Connor Cook's Michigan State's old quarterback. But Cook from Missouri, like, if they throw it 40 times, like, he's probably going to throw it for that much, right? I would imagine so. Um, what about this week with, with Penn State's guy that they've had for 30 years? I mean, it feels it, like it's been that long. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a long time. But, I mean, I think if Penn State throws it 40 times, there's going to be 300 yards. I think Jaden Daniels, if he were some reason going to throw it that much at LSU, Stetson Bennett, absolutely. He may not have to throw it 40 times with the, the offense that they've got cooking. Ole Miss, the same way with Jackson Dart. Um, Miss, Mississippi State's the same way. It's so, like, I don't... They're going to throw it more than 40. 100%. Percent, right 100, and they're probably going to throw it for more than 300 yards on Auburn, but I still think Auburn has a chance to win that game. But... I just think I, 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 I'm with you on the chunk plays, and I'm with you on the eye test. And at times, it was like, oh, yeah, that guy was way too open, way too open. But I do think that will get better, and I do think if Auburn can kind of help out on offense, and I think their pass rush will get better over the course of the season. Like, right now it is an issue, but I, I, think, I think it's going to get better. One thing that I wanted to note about the cornerbacks, and I talked about this a little bit with Daryl yesterday, Lindsay. Of Auburn's three main corners, DJ James scored by far the highest on pro football focus. DJ James uh, registered a 73.9, and he had a 73.8 grade in, in coverage, which is awesome. 
Nehemiah Pritchett scored a 66. And then uh, he had a coverage rate of 65.8. And Jalen Simpson, who is a guy that I'm very high on, PFF did not think so. Second worst on the team. Only player that was worse than him on defense was Caden Bridges, and he only played four snaps. So I don't even know if that's applicable. But um, yeah, he scored a 47.7, which is awful. Absolutely awful. But I say all that to say, and I read those numbers off to say, bigger role for, uh, for DJ James coming up? I think so. I think he's a guy, they, they ran him a lot in the second half, uh, you know, and, and had him out there quite a bit, more play time there than he's gotten in any game so far at Auburn. And the defense seemed to play a Let, little L- more. Lindsay, just so people have context to your answer, I want to add this real quick. DJ James played 39 snaps. Pritchett played 50. Jalen Simpson played 55. So he didn't play as much as the main two, but right. it's, it's a lot closer than it has been. Yeah. And I think it's something where they see now Keontae Scott is maybe the more ideal nickel. Donovan Kaufman's doing well at safety. I feel like that's the expense of Caden Bridges. Yeah. And then DJ James coming in. I'm not sure who that's going to be at the expense of um, for sure, but I do feel like you are going to work him more into the rotation now. Um, part of that, I wonder how much of that was playbook and how much of that was necessity because one of the two main guys is underperforming. I don't know the, the balance there, but I do feel like he, you are going to work him in there more, which means yeah. Auburn even more now is winning the Bo Nix trade. <laughs> That's true. Cause Jason Jones has been awesome. Robbie Ashford is definitely a part of this offense. So yeah, no, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I think Nehemiah Pritchett and Jalen Simpson are both underperforming. And I say more of the Jalen Simpson stuff because of what the analytics say. When I watch him, I just, and I could be wrong, but like, I think Jalen Simpson, I thought he had a good game. Clearly, the, the analytics said not. But I also think Jalen Simpson is being used incorrectly. Like, that guy should be bumping and running every single play. I mean, that is a guy that you just want to punch the receiver every single snap. And, and that's just not how they're using him. Um, Nehemiah Pritchett, very fast, but it, it seems like even against Mercer, that's where they were going, right? They were going after Nehemiah. So we'll, um, we'll see if that trend continues, but I bet we see a pretty even split between the top three corners this week against Penn State. Yeah, we'll just, you know, we'll see. And that's something Harson's talked about too, is weeks one and two are where we evaluate. Week three, you kind of have a better idea of what your best mix is and what your team is. And so we'll see a little bit more of, of DJ James if they feel like that's who we need uh, to be in there to have the best chance to stop Sean Clifford. So I thought this uh, I thought this market share was interesting too, since we're talking about defensive snaps. Uh, Derek Hall led the edge players with 60 snaps. Ecu at 57, which is expected. Marcus Bragg had a sneaky 25 snaps, Lindsey. Passing Dylan Brooks, I don't think Dylan Brooks played. And so, to me, I was really, really impressed with Marcus Bragg. I thought he looked really good out there. He looks like an SEC edge player, which I did not think would happen when I was looking at his tape from Western, uh, Western Kentucky. But man, I... Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see that percentage go up for Marcus Bragg a little bit too. There was one or two plays I remember seeing Marcus Bragg around the ball, around around the play, and just being like, "Oh wow, I didn't ex-, like I, I had to double check to see who it was because I wasn't expecting it to be him." He 
pleasantly kind of flashed yeah. from the press box on Saturday. And I wonder, part of that is like, well, correction. I wonder how much of that is you played a team that threw it 40 times uh, and how much of it is, is we, he has a, a skill set that we need to incorporate next to, or, you know, for Hall and Leota. So, I mean, you rotate your edge guys quite a bit. Um, if you, when you play Arkansas, I imagine he won't get nearly as much run, but if he can be a viable third option that can take a good 30 snaps and be productive on a per snap basis, yeah, I feel like that adds another dimension to this Auburn team because right now it feels like so much of the edge is contingent on Hall and Leota. Right. And if you can have a consistent, it's that whole thing with your second team. If your second team guy can come in and can produce, that gives your 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 defense a little more lethality. And I feel like Marcus Bragg has impressed these last two weeks, but especially Saturday. Yeah. Marcus Bragg's rush defense is really bad, but his pass rush defense is just a notch below where Eku and Derek are. So I think that'll be fun to see moving forward. Lindsey Crosby, how can people find you, hear you, read you, all of that good stuff, buddy? I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. My show, Locked on MLB Prospects, is available wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Uh, you can find the Auburn Baseball writing at auburndaily.com and the merch, aushirts.com. Lindsey Crosby, thank you so much for your time, my friend. You can read all of my written work at auburndaily.com as well. If you made it this far into the show, please click that subscribe button on YouTube or subscribe on whatever audio app you're listening on right now. We'll see you tomorrow right here on Locked on Auburn.